turn with me now to Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica and to the third chapter and to the first two verses of that chapter. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Father, as we hear this request, this plea from the lips of the apostle, Pray that we would take it seriously, that we would run with it tonight and become people all the more of prayer for those who are working to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to take you back this evening to those roving preachers that we talked about on Sunday morning from the book of 3 John, those men living in the era of the New Testament, who went out for the sake of the name. Those men who traveled from city to city and from town to town proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps sometimes they were teachers giving instruction to the churches that were already in existence, but surely often they acted as missionaries too, taking the gospel where Jesus was not yet known and where he was not yet praised. Whatever their specific ministries, they couldn't go it alone, right? They were dependent. We saw on Sunday upon the hospitality of local churches, churches already in existence, whose paths they might cross as they made their way along the various highways of the ancient world. They were dependent on people like Gaius in the book of Third John, who would invite them into their homes and spread a meal before them and give them a place to wash their feet and set out cots on which they could sleep at night and provide them an evening's company and encouragement and so on. And these traveling men of God were dependent too, not only on the hospitality of these other Christians, but also on their generosity, we said. That's what John said, actually, wasn't it? We ought to support such men. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. In other words, don't just bless them when they're in your city. Send them on their way when they leave your city to go to the next destination. Send them on their way with the material support that they will need. Sometimes maybe that came in the form of a a skin of water to get them through the day or maybe a satchel of foodstuffs to tide them over, and it surely also came in the form of coins pressed into the preacher's hands as they made their way out of the gates of the city. And so missionary support has a long and noble history. What we're doing this month has a long and noble history. And missionary labor, of course, has a long and noble history, one that dates all the way back to the first century and to the time of the New Testaments. New Testament. And one of, the, one of the greatest of all these itinerant ministers, one of the greatest of all the missionaries, was, of course, the man who wrote this letter of Second Thessalonians, which is open before us now this evening. This man who was once a persecutor of the church, 
but who met Jesus dramatically on the road to Damascus and was forever changed. This man, the Apostle Paul, was one of the great missionaries, perhaps the greatest missionary of the New Testament era, and indeed probably the greatest missionary of any era. Some of you will remember how we tagged along with him on his journeys last year as Luke chronicled them for us in the book of Acts. We went with Paul to all sorts of places around the Mediterranean basin as he preached Christ and planted churches. He was a great missionary, and his work of traveling and preaching and planting churches gives us a glimpse of what these other traveling preachers in the New Testament era may have been doing, although probably many of them on smaller scales than that of the apostle. These are the sorts of men that we ought to support. And then you may remember also how earlier last year, we studied Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, which was written, we said, at least partially out of a desire to thank the Lord's people for their material support of his missionary labors. It was a missionary thank you letter. Paul was blessed by a few coins dropped in his satchel just as much as any other itinerant preacher would be. But in tonight's passage, we're reminded that those who have gone out for the sake of the name, those who have left home and committed their lives to missionary service, tonight we are reminded that these men and women need something else too. Tonight we're reminded that our missionaries don't just need the coins that God's people slip into their pockets. They need something else from us too. And we find out what it is when we listen to Paul's request here in Second Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. That's what Paul wants. That's what Paul needs from the church at Thessalonica. He needs their prayers. Now, he surely wouldn't have turned it down if they also sent him a check. But that's not what he asked for here in 2 Thessalonians, is it? Paul asks for prayer. And so do all the missionaries who come through this little church too, don't they? Yes, they often need our financial support, and so do the nearly 5,000 missionaries who have gone out through the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board. They need churches like ours to fill up the offering plates this December. They need churches like this one to reach our Lottie Moon goals. They need us to fill up the lights on that wreath, and they will be blessed if we can fill them all up by year's end. After all, Paul's logic about the salvation of the lost in Romans chapter 10 is how they believe in whom they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher? And then Paul asks this vital question, how will they preach unless they are sent? How will they preach unless they are sent? And I would just add, how will they be sent if we don't support them, right? So yes, it's crucially important that we send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, that we support such men financially. But I suggest to you tonight Based on the first two verses here in 2 Thessalonians 3, I suggest to you that another critically important way in which we must support such men and send them on their way in a manner worthy of God is by upholding them in prayer, by supporting them in prayer, by sending them on their way with prayer. That's what Paul asks of the Thessalonians here. And that's what our missionaries ask of us. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us us because how can they ever succeed in such a monumental task 
of preaching the gospel to those who are dead in trespasses and sins? How will they ever see such dead people raised to life if God doesn't come alongside them and do what only he can do? Missionary labors don't just succeed. The gospel doesn't penetrate lost hearts. Churches are not planted in lost culture simply because the missionaries show up well-funded, well-trained, and ready to preach. Because, as Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can raise the spiritually dead but God. The missionaries, in other words, cannot save anyone. They can preach, but they can't make people listen. They can hold Bible studies, but they can't make people come. And when the people do come, the missionaries have no power to open their hearts so that they will believe what is being proclaimed. Only God can do that. Only God can save human beings. Only God draws people to Jesus. Only God can penetrate a lost culture with the light of the gospel. Now let's be clear to say that he generally uses missionaries in order to do these things. He speaks through missionaries. He saves sinners through missionaries preaching. And so we must give generally so as to get the missionaries, men and women, to the field for how will the nations hear without a preacher. And yet now what I'm saying is as important as the preachers are, the power to save is in God not in his gospel workers. And so I say it's not merely enough for us just to get them to the field, well-fed and clothed and so on. They need God to go with them, and they need God to come and work through them and to do through their preaching what only he can do. And we, therefore, need to pray for them. Paul couldn't make the word of the Lord spread rapidly out on the mission field. He couldn't make it be glorified either, verse 1. And so he asks for prayer for these things. He asks the Thessalonians to beseech God that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. And that's what our missionaries need from us too. Many of you have a loved one or a co-worker or a friend whom you desperately want to see come to know Jesus. And you've spoken with them of the Lord, probably many of you more than once. But it just seems impossible that anything will change in their life, doesn't it, sometimes? Impossible, at least, for you. Because you realize that you can't convince them. You can't make them see how offensive their sin really is to God. You can't help them to understand that Christ's blood really is the only covering for it. You can't make those things happen. And so you do what you can do. You show them the truth of the Bible, but you realize it's impossible for them to see it unless God comes and does with his words what you cannot, unless he comes and drives them home to the heart. Many of us know what it is like to feel stuck in our sharing of the gospel unless God intervenes by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit and does in hearts what we by ourselves cannot do. Now, if you know what that's like, imagine that this realization of your utter powerlessness to save anyone or even to make them really listen, imagine that this is your everyday experience. Imagine that your life's calling is to speak the gospel to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and whom you can't make alive. Only God can do that. 
Yes, you know that he makes people alive when you proclaim his word, but you also know that you can't make it happen yourself. And so you're utterly dependent every day on God doing through you what only he can do. Would that not drive you to your knees in prayer? And would it not cause you to write back to the good folks in Thessalonica or in Cincinnati, brethren, pray for us. Dear brothers and sisters in Jesus, pray for us out here on the mission field. Pray that the Lord would do what we cannot. Beseech him that his word will spread rapidly and be glorified. Brethren, pray for us. We cannot do this on our own. I hope that you'll be moved this evening to begin doing that more faithfully than ever before. Brethren, pray for us. But what does Paul want the Thessalonians to pray And by application, what should we pray for our missionaries, both the ones that we know and the ones that are yet strangers to us? What should we pray? Well, let's notice three prayer requests that Paul gives here in 2 Thessalonians, and then we'll wrap up with some practical ways that we can get ourselves into motion in missionary prayer. So first of all, the what of missionary prayer. What should we pray for our missionaries? Well, Paul says, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. That the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, the message that Paul and his companions preach out on the mission field, pray for us, Paul says, that this gospel word will spread rapidly. If you're reading from the NASB with me this evening, You may notice that there's a footnote here in verse 1 that tells you that the literal translation is pray for us that the word of the Lord will run. That the word of the Lord will run. What does that mean? What is Paul asking for when he requests his friends to pray that this gospel word would run or spread rapidly? Well, I'll tell you what I think of when I hear what Paul says here. I think of what we mean in our modern vernacular when we speak about things going viral. So-and-so posted a video of her two-year-old singing Jingle Bells ever so cutely on YouTube, and within a week, it had gone viral. Meaning that, within a week, the video had run, right? It had spread rapidly, such that the two-year-old was starting to become a household name, And such that maybe many of the people in your office had seen the clip and you could talk about it together. Paul, of course, didn't have YouTube and he didn't know the terminology of going viral. But I wonder if this wasn't something like what he was asking the Thessalonians to pray for. That when he and his companions entered a city or a particular region in the Mediterranean world, that God would cause the message of Jesus Christ to run all throughout the city and overspread the area so that the name of Jesus began to be discussed around all the dining tables. And Paul's teaching sessions, consequently, would begin to overflow with people who are interested in hearing, and hundreds of people would hear the preaching of the gospel in the space of a few days. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. I think this may be what he's asking. Wouldn't have happened in the same way, of course, in the same in the way that things go viral today on the internet, but it could have happened nonetheless. A whole city could be hearing of Christ within only a few days if God would make it so. Think about that time in John chapter 4 when Jesus spoke the truth about himself to the woman at the well. 
You remember, it started as a conversation with just one woman. Even the disciples were gone. But this one woman was so overwhelmed by what she found in Jesus and what Jesus found in her that she went back and spread the word in her town. You remember? And perhaps because she was a bit of a notorious woman, what with her track record of five husbands, perhaps because of that, a large number of people took notice of what she had to say and came to have a listen to this Jesus for themselves. And within two days, many people in that city had heard the word of the Lord and many believed, John says. Now, how exactly did it happen? How did it go viral? Did the woman go back and stand in the public marketplace and share her testimony on the town square in front of a large crowd? Or did she maybe tell a few of her lady friends who were astounded that this loose woman had gotten religion and they just couldn't help but gossip the news around town? John doesn't tell us the way it happened, humanly speaking. But we can be sure that however it happened, it happened. The name of Jesus and the news about Jesus spread in Samaria and crowds began to come and hear him preach. We can be sure that it happened because of the mighty hand of God. God caused the word of the Lord to spread rapidly and be glorified. Ultimately, it was God who did this. And perhaps this is exactly the sort of thing that Paul is requesting prayer for, that God would stir among the people in the various cities where Paul visits such that a spirit of inquiry would be in the air. And I borrow that phrase, a spirit of inquiry, from the great missionary to Burma, Adoniram Judson. You can learn about Judson from uh, the classic biography about him by Courtney Anderson called To the Golden Shore. I learned most of what I know about Judson from listening to a biographical message about him by John Piper, Uh, and Piper uses Anderson as his primary source for information about Judson's life. You can find Piper's bio of Judson at desiringgod.org. Judson labored long and hard and sometimes painfully to bring the gospel to the Burmese people, and there was some fruit, according to Anderson, But in 1831, when Judson had been in Burma for 18 years, the word of the Lord suddenly began to spread rapidly and be glorified. Let me just give you a quote from Piper's bio. He draws it from Anderson, um, but it's actually a quote from Adoniram Judson's pen about what the Lord was doing in 1831. The spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere through the whole length and breadth of the land. We have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but those who ask. I presume there have been 6,000 applications at the house. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China. Sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, 100 miles north of Ava. Sir, we have seen a writing that tells about an eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such writings? If so, pray, give us one, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others from the interior of the country, where the name of Jesus Christ is little known. Are you Jesus Christ's man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? God can do such things. God can work stirring among a people so that they will journey for two months to hear the word of the Lord. And I say to you, perhaps that is what Paul is talking about here in verse 1. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly, that the word of the Lord will run, that it may speed ahead, as the ESV puts it. Now, this is not always how the gospel advances, I understand. Perhaps it's not even usually how the gospel advances, by great leaps and bounds like this. And we should be content with that, but we should pray that in God's timing, the word of the Lord will run. And I say again, perhaps this is what Paul has in mind here in verse 1. In fact, Paul experienced just such an occasion early on in his ministry. In Acts chapter 13, in the city of Antioch, Paul and Barnabas went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they were given an opportunity by the synagogue leaders to preach, and preach Paul did, so stirringly, so powerfully, that the congregation begged that he and Barnabas would come back and preach the next week. And during that seven days, word got out in the city to such an extent that when it was time for worship on the next Sabbath, Luke says that, quote, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. One week, and nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. How does that happen? Not by the clever marketing of men, but by the power of God. And I say to you, God can do such things again. He can cause his word to spread slowly, steadily, at a fairly even pace, which is his normal way of working, it would seem, a way for which we should be thankful and not look upon with disappointment. But he can also cause the gospel to run. And we should pray that he would do that through the preaching of our various ministries. Pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. You can pray that for our missionaries, like the Epps, who, with their teammates, are directly involved in evangelism and church planting. Pray for them that there would be a Burma-like spirit of inquiry. Pray that the Bible studies on the living room floor and the preaching in the village centers would overflow like the worship service that Sabbath in Antioch with people wanting to hear a word from Jesus Christ's man. And you can pray this way too for the Shermans and for David Crabb and for the leaders in Ethiopia who train pastors. Pray that the word of the Lord would come so powerfully to these men that they couldn't wait to get back to their villages and spread the news about Jesus far and wide. Brethren, pray for us. Our missionaries would plead with us, just like the Apostle Paul. Pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. And be glorified. That's the second thing this evening, the second what of our missionary prayers. Let us not only pray that there will be a spirit of inquiry so that many people will come to hear the word of the Lord, but let us also pray that that word, once heard, will be glorified, that it will be believed and loved and treasured and sung and passed on by those who believe it. This is the ultimate goal, is it not? Not just that people hear the name of Jesus and the message of his sinless life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection on the third day, not just that people hear this message of Christ and his gospel, but that they embrace it that they love it, that they believe it, that they praise it, that they sing it, that they glorify God for it. 
that they glory in this word. And I emphasize this is a great matter for prayer. Because as much as the missionaries are incapable of people making people want to hear, they are even more incapable of making people believe and glorify the word of the Lord. This is what we were saying earlier. Every day, our missionaries are out there proclaiming the good news of Jesus to natural men. Men and women, boys and girls, who like us, were born with sinful natures, born with no spiritual life in their souls, no godly desires, no godly inclinations, and thus no natural ability to respond to the gospel that's being preached. That's why Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, because as Paul would go on to write in 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This is the sort of person with whom the missionaries share the gospel day by day by day. The natural man who can't understand on any real heart level what the gospel is all about. Unless God intervenes and opens his or her eyes. Unless God intervenes and brings about a new birth. Then they will understand the things of God. Then they will be able to make sense of the gospel. Then they will believe and glorify God's word about Jesus. But not until then. And the missionary simply cannot make that happen. He can preach the word, which is the seed that God uses to bring about new spiritual life. But the missionary cannot make that seed effectual. He cannot make the seed sprout. He cannot open blind eyes. He cannot compel people to see and live and believe. Only God does that. And so I say again, he is driven to his knees in prayer that God will take his sermons and that God will take her Bible studies and that God will use the witness over coffee at the local cafe and infuse these things with the power of the Holy Spirit so that the listeners will do more than just hear, but that they will believe and glorify the word of the Lord. And they need us to pray with them. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. Pray that God will open hearts in Ethiopia and Brazil and China, and Zambia, and Nepal, and Central Asia. Pray that sermons preached would not be rejected, that they would not go in one ear and out the other. Pray that God would till up the ground of many hearts so that the seed would fall into good soil and yield a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold. Pray for them that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. I think about our missionaries serving in the Muslim world and how difficult it is, and how humanly impossible it may seem that our missionaries would ever see a crop there of even 30-fold, much less 100. Because not only are Islamic people just as spiritually dead as you and I were before God saved us, but then in addition to that, there's also all this cultural and familial and sometimes governmental pressure sitting like a giant roadblock in the road toward faith in Christ. So that, humanly speaking, it is hard for a Muslim to come to Christ. Harder for them than perhaps we can fathom. However, as the angel Gabriel said to Mary that first Christmas, nothing will be impossible with God. 
Nothing will be impossible with God. If God can cause a virgin to be with child and to be with not just any child, but the very son of the Most High, if God can cause a virgin to be with child and if God himself can become incarnate in the manger at Bethlehem, then God can surely cause a Muslim to be born again and send the Holy Spirit to dwell in his or her heart forever. And the same is true for the most hardened atheist in our country and for the people in every corner of the globe who seem to us so difficult to reach. Nothing will be impossible with God. And if the impossible becomes possible when God intervenes in missions, then we'd better not just give to missions. And we'd better not just go on mission, but we had better seek the Lord that he would go with us and with our missionaries and do what only he can do. Nothing will be impossible if God goes with our missionaries. And if you need proof of what God can do, just look in the mirror. Isn't that what Paul says to the Thessalonians at the end of verse 1? Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Think back, Paul says to the Thessalonians. Think back to how God's word came to you and how you began to believe and glorify that word. Think back on how God worked in you and pray he'll do it again. And I say the same to you tonight. Some of you grew up your whole life, yes, around the gospel. Some of you knew the plan of salvation from before you can remember. And so it may have seemed, like an, to, uh, to an outsider at least, like it was easy for you to be saved. And it probably was easier in some sense from a human perspective for you to come to Christ than for a person growing up, say, in Tehran or Jakarta. But if you really know yourself, you know how lost you were. You know how rebellious your heart could be against the truth that you knew. And yet God broke through that and saved you. And others of you came from far further back the learning curve. Some of you may have been precisely the person to whom your friends were witnessing once upon a time and feeling like it would be virtually impossible to ever see you bow your knee to Jesus. But here you are. God caused the word of the Lord to spread in your life. He opened your heart to glorify that word and to believe in his son. And here you are on a Wednesday night, all this time later, listening to some guy talk for 40 minutes about two verses in 2 Thessalonians. And you're interested. And you're helped. And you're glad you came. And you look at yourself in the mirror, Paul says, and you see all that God has done in you by the word of the Lord, and you pray that he'll do it again through the Shermans in Zambia and through those pastors in Ethiopia and the Eps as they send the gospel up the Amazon River in Brazil. And you pray for other missionaries that you know or that you're hearing about during this season of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You pray that God would do again through their ministry what he did through someone else's ministry for you. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And then there's a third request that I want to deal with only briefly but seriously. Pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Pray for our missionaries that they will be rescued from perverse and evil men. I hope you take that seriously.
I hope you realize how perilous missionary life can sometimes be. Now, to my knowledge, the missionaries that we specifically know and support are all quite safe right now. But that is not always the case. And it will not always remain the case, even in regions which today are fairly peaceful. India is not a particularly dangerous place right now. Mark and I were there some years ago. But 15 years ago, Graham Staines, a missionary from Australia, and his two little boys were burned alive there while living in that country as missionaries. We could say similar things about Turkey. It's relatively safe overall, but in 2007, some of you may remember the story, a German missionary and two Turkish national believers were brutally tortured for three hours and slain in cold blood. And so we just never know. Someone could walk in the door before we finish tonight intent on destruction of God's people. And Paul understood this better than we do, I think. He lived it. Paul lived the reality of perverse and evil men who had no qualms about harming the Lord's people. Remember, he had once been one of them. And now, as a Christian and as a preacher and as a missionary, he wore a target on his back for those who still were perverse and evil men. And to some extent, that is what a missionary signs up for when they leave these shores to go to the mission field. They go knowing that they may be watched, followed, disliked, hated, on the government's list someplace, and sometimes perhaps plotted against. They know that they may have a target on their back the whole time they're there, but it is all worth it if they can but just see the fame of Jesus spread. And we ought to pray for them, for their safety, as long as God wills it. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it, also, just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. Three things to pray. Now let me close with three brief ideas of how you can start to do this, how you can take all of this seriously how you can do for your missionaries today what Paul was asking the Thessalonians to do nearly two millennia ago. How can you begin to actually put feet to this? How can you begin to actually pray for the missionaries and to inform yourself so as to pray for them by name and to pray for specific details of their work? It's good to pray that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. It's good to pray that it will be glorified. It's good to pray for protection for the missionaries. But how specifically should we be praying and which missionaries and so on? We're going to have a time of prayer together in a few moments, and that will be a start. But what can you do beyond tonight? Let me give you three suggestions, and then we'll pray. Number one, newsletters. Newsletters. Most of the missionaries that we support produce a periodic newsletter, updating us on the work, listing specific prayer requests, listing also items for praise. And most of you have the capacity of receiving those newsletters via email. And if you don't already receive them, I'd encourage you to do so. Email me sometime this week and say, I want the newsletters. And I'll email the missionaries and ask them to add you to the list. It's good to hear from the people that are on the field and to know what's going on so that you can pray specifically. So you, you get on the list and you get the newsletter, and maybe you pray through it right there at your computer desk, or maybe you print it 
and pray over it as a family or put it in your Bible and pray for it piece by piece through the week. But however you do it, it will help you tremendously both to remember to pray for the missionaries and to know specifically how to pray, how to put more details to the general requests of Second Thessalonians 3. It seems so simple, but let's make sure that we take advantage of these missionary newsletters. And let me say also, while we're talking about missionary newsletters, the Heart Cry Missionary Society, who supports the pastor's training in Ethiopia and who does similar work in many other places around the globe, Heart Cry produces a very good quarterly missions magazine that's available on paper or electronically, which contains missionary updates from various places in the world that could be kindling for your prayers as well. So if you, if you want to pray for our six that we particularly pray for and, and uh, highlight at our church, that's great. If you want to go beyond that, go on Heart Cry Missionaries' website. Hover over the Resources tab, click on Magazine, and then on the right side of the page it will say Magazine Sign Up, from which point you can follow the instructions. HeartCryMissionary.com, Resources, Magazine, Sign Up. That's one practical way to put missionary prayer into practice. Get a hold of some newsletters. A second way is by ordering and using this book, Operation World, which I promote most years around this time. You can get it at Amazon.com for $19.83, or if you have a Kindle, you can get it for $12.59. Now, I'm not guaranteeing those prices after today, but that's the prices I found today on Amazon.com. This is one of the most valuable resources in my library, one that I want to get back to using more than I have in the last year or two. And some of you will know that the book is not arranged around individual missionaries, which is kind of what we've been talking about tonight, but it's actually a prayer guide to help you pray for the cause of Christ among the different nations. And so it's ordered by countries rather than by individual missionaries. So you won't find missionary updates or photos or the like in here. But as you read about Nigeria or Mexico or Afghanistan or Portugal or Myanmar, as you read about these countries, you will start to pick up on some of the kinds of work that are being done in these places or that need to be done in these places. And you will be able to pray for the missionaries who are there doing that work, even if you don't know who they are. And in the cases where there is work that needs to be done, whether they need someone to come and train pastors or there are unreached people groups that have to be reached, when you find work that needs to be done, you can, Matthew 9, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. This is an amazing tool, and I hope that some of you will grab hold of it. You can come and look at my copy uh, when we're done tonight to see what it's all about. Make use of of tools like this, Operation World by Jason Mandrick and his faithful team, tools that God has provided to our generation so that we can perhaps pray like never before. And then finally, in addition to newsletters, in addition to Operation World, if you want to heed Paul's call and the call of our missionaries, brethren, pray for us, then the most simple thing that I can encourage you to do is simply keep coming or start coming to our weekly prayer meeting, Sundays at 9 o'clock. We've almost gotten to the point that we can't fit everyone into the room over here, and hopefully that will be an even worse problem uh, in the new year. And I invite you to come and be part of the problem. Come and pray with us for all manner of things, including our missionaries. Each week, 
You've seen it in our bulletin. There is the face of some missionary family, isn't there? Some family which we have committed to pray for regularly. And each week in the prayer meeting, we actually pray for them, sometimes using their own newsletter, sometimes compiling requests on a separate sheet of paper. But each week, as many of you know, we, we pray for one of these families and we make particular requests that are available at the prayer meeting, and we make those requests available so that we can pray more specifically. And I just urge you to keep coming or to start coming and be a part of that. And I urge you when you're here to make sure you don't forget the missionaries amongst all the other things that we pray about. And since we make the information available on paper, you could take it home too and pray for the missionaries through the week. Some of you I've seen have them in your Bible And maybe you're already doing that, praying for them through the week. I hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity. And however you do it, I hope that you will do it, that you will pray for our missionaries. They need our prayers as much and maybe more than they need our monetary support. So hear their need tonight through the words of the apostle and heed it more and more in the weekly rhythms of your life finally brethren pray for us that the word of the lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith